you. Hello, hello. Thanks to everyone who's joined us um, today. So people listening to this will be thinking, what's going on when they're, they're listening to it back on, on Anchor or wherever you listen to us? But uh, my name's Holly and uh, you just joined us. We're joined today with Isla. Isla, you've not introduced yourself yet, so go for it. Uh, okay, hi, my name's Isla. I'm an well, I'm an ESOL and an English teacher in FE, um, in an FE college in the West Midlands, and I do some writing and training as well as that. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Isla Flutch. So that's me. Cool. So today, um, Isla's here much longer than I am, but she's here doing a, a double special. But we wanted to just talk to have a chat between us really about the some of the top tips that we've pulled out over our experiences of social skills but we're going to do it a bit differently we're, we're, we've not got a presentation we've got a bit rogue haven't we yes yeah well we're not rogue collie not rogue it's like it's game show-esque it's wheel of fortune <laughs> so what we're going to do um, rather than going through a, a, a presentation side of everything. We thought it'd be really fun to uh, test ourselves as well. But we have our Wheel of Fortune, so hopefully you can see that on the screen. Um, so wherever it stops, we're just going to talk about it today. Um, and we'll spin it, and we'd absolutely love to hear what you think when we land on these topics. If you're watching on YouTube, do pop a comment in. Um, we can see your comments on our actual side screen there, and I'm sure Sammy will be popping them up as we go along. So, shall we spin? Yeah, let's spin. Oh, I feel like a glamorous assistant. Right. Uh... Where did we go? Uh, oh, it feels like it's right in between. I'm going to go for spelling, yeah? Spelling, yeah. Do you want to kickstart then? Oh, right. Okay. So top tips for spelling um, in functional English. Um, right. One of the things that I learned a, long, a while ago now from a trainer that came in was a lot of people struggle with spelling and um, they feel really nervous about it and are embarrassed about it. Um, and one of the things when you're remembering new spellings is it's good to write it. And he always he recommended that you just give the learner some scrap paper or a post-it. When they ask you to spell a word, you say, right, you have a go first. And you just give them that little scrap of paper and they try and write it. And then you can help them sound them out. Because it's on that scrap bit of paper, it doesn't matter if they get it wrong. It's not on their nice finished work. And that really helps them build their confidence to have a go and try it like that. So that's an idea I've got. Um, have you got any ideas? Uh, yeah, just to touch on it a bit as well, I think that spelling is one of the challenges that we see across the breadth of functional skills, isn't it? Whether you're entry level or whether you're level two, we still see the, the spelling challenges. And I think there's this real um, anxiety around English as well. We, there's a lot of mass anxiety that's had a lot to into it. There is a lot of, um, don't worry, the wheel's got a mind this own. It's just ready to move. So, um, you know, there is a lot of English anxiety and a lot of that is putting pen to paper, isn't it? Like you say, you know, it's, we have all the thoughts here, we can verbally explain really confidently, but when it comes to actually lifting the pen and putting it down, there's a real block. So I love that idea of putting it down on a, on a piece of paper because that piece of paper goes away in the bin and, you know, it's, a, it's another copy. Um, spelling, we've started doing a lot of spelling tests 
say, I don't want to use the word textbook, lots of practice spellings, um, you know, and we're able to embed some of those vocational words in there, which has proven to be really, really positive because um, things that are coming up, you know, like within their assignments or words that are key terminology that they're having to use day in and day out uh, within the classroom, we can bring that in and kind of hide it amongst the other spellings that we're trying to get them to do. So we've definitely seen some improvement with um, the utilisation of the of the spelling practice, and that's at level one, level two as well. Well, so yeah. Oh, sorry, I was just going to interject because because now we've got these spelling tests in the entry level exams. It came as a bit of a shock because all of a sudden you're having to prepare your learners in a, a very specific way. But what I was going to say is, whilst actually a lot of my learners love the old fashioned you know, get your pens out, right? number one to 10. There are other ways that you can do it. Like I think if I were teaching adults, I wouldn't necessarily be doing that. I would be doing, um, I made some spelling tests on OneNote where I read out the spellings on an audio file and then learners put the spellings into a form and then you can collate the results privately and then have a record of the spellings. Uh, without everyone having to share their results, that kind of thing. That's what you want to get away from. That's what people have sort of been scarred from in the past, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. The other top kind of little thing that I have in my classroom is Scrabble cards, like little Scrabble tiles. And um, I decided I'd make my own in all different colours because that was just an aesthetic and pleasing thing to make. So, uh, you know, all the people are like, I want pink, I want yellow, which is good because it, it supports that, you know, meeting needs of learners as well who see on different colour paper. So, Scrabble pieces are really great to try the spelling out beforehand, before they write it down, or also to try and make some new words or words that they think are. Um, words and then you go through that kind of discussion okay well actually that's not the word or we talk about you know maybe words that are generalized so we, we're correcting grammar as well as we're correcting spelling with those scrabble tiles but I love that I love that idea scrabble tiles that's great I, I used to do like boggle on the board at like the start of a lesson as a warmer where they have to sort of um, you know make words out of the letters on the board and things like that I always think spelling tasks, anagrams, things like that at the start of a lesson. It doesn't have to be a full focus, but something you can just build in as a little puzzle to sort of um, make the learners a bit more curious about what they're going to study that lesson. Definitely, definitely. Shall we spin again? Let's spin. Oh, I love how getting the power to press the button. <laughs> Where are we going to land? Oh, teach mm. back to revision. Do you want to start on this one? Yeah, revisions I, I find personally quite a, a challenging topic. We're looking at trying to get students to revise, um, especially our mainstream study pathway students, it's a real challenge because their mindset is a mindset that sometimes we all want to work, which is I come in at nine, I leave at four, and I'm done, and I'm learning between those hours. And really you're trying to encourage that extra learning outside the classroom. Um, if they could revise at home. So we have to bring a lot of our revision in. In terms of, um, let's say for, for writing, I mean, I'm, I'm a real good believer of a massive workshop, lots of activities that they can go in and write, practice, 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 you know, and we're doing that instant feedback, self-assessment, um, and putting students in the place of an examiner or a marker, they just absolutely love, don't they? You know, they think that they've got, they've got the power to, to fail somebody in their class or pass somebody in their class. Um, but there, there's something I think about really breaking down a mark scheme and bringing that in 
quite early on so that they get to grips with what we're saying with our terminology as much as what um, they're trying to understand it. Um, the other thing is as well is getting them to write questions because then they understand what they're going into in the exam. You know, we, we're always trying to think of the most relevant topics and sometimes our minds just go, don't they? You know, they just, sometimes we can't think, but they can tell us. So getting them to write a question and then either testing themselves on it or testing their um, friend or their peer in the classroom on it has always been quite a successful way. Yeah, I love that. I've never thought of getting the students to actually write their own questions, but of course that is like mastery, isn't it? So fantastic idea. Um, I, I mean, I love, like, um, I teach a lot of entry level, so I try to include lots of repetition and um, revision through like quizzing, like using quizzes and cahoots in class that cover the main, um, main topics. Also, like what you said about the criteria and making sure the learners understand right from the beginning what they're being assessed on and what they're being expected to do. Modelling those things as well so that they can see it and then they can have a go at it. And then providing them with the resources because we don't have all the time in the world to help them with revision, but we can signpost them to things. So signposting them to really cool great websites like you, you know your BBC Bite Size is doing functional skills now um, other websites I'll show you later and then those great CGP books like I think they're perfect if you've got keen learners that want to practice at home to you know copy out pages of that or recommend that they borrow those books they're fantastic for revision I think yeah absolutely um, you know again going back to our adult learners who are super super keen at um, wanting to do a vision, that's what to say our, our pathway students are, but our adult students are more, always the ones that want more practice, or they want, you know, you need to give them more things, so sometimes we can run out of practice sets or ones that we've written, so those CPG books there, they're, they're really, really good, and they break it down in a lovely way where they show them, and then it's just very much, you get on with it in a, in a kind of scaffold way. Right, I'm going to eliminate that one so we can spin again. We could have our own TV show, Hall. It would be amazing. We could do this weekly. <laughs> oh, multi-level classes. I feel like I spent my life teaching multi-level classes. It's very, it's very normal practice in FE, certainly, I think, to have multi-level classes, um, particularly on... Um, program of study is um, thing well like when I was teaching ESOL we'd always have mixed levels um, we don't have a huge ESOL department so you've got to have mixed levels um, when you get when you're teaching across college and vocational areas you tend to have a mix of levels so um, it is the norm and I think um, what do I want to say what are my top tips oh my god um, differentiate uh, sorry, yeah. It's yeah. just an autopilot thing for you to be. I, I think it. my, yeah, I think my key phrase, this is what I love to put on a scheme of work, is differentiation by outcome, because actually that enables the teacher to um, not um, put, so, well, that sounds terrible, but it's easier for the teacher in that way. If you've got tasks that are open-ended, so you're expecting some people to, uh, you know, answer at sentence level, where others to be doing paragraph, fully tasked, like offering extension and stretch tasks so you've got the core skills for everybody and then you've got opportunities to write further more openly at the end 
I mean, I do. I must do tons, but right at this second, I cannot. I cannot think of great examples. Holly, help me out. I would say that the my in terms of this, don't be afraid. This is like feels like an actual bold. You know, don't be afraid to split your group up into those different levels. Don't be afraid to get them working in those working groups in your lessons. So you might be doing writing, you might have a mixture of entry three and level one. So those two different um, groups of learners within your lesson are going to be aiming towards, like you say, different outcomes. The different work, you know, if you're doing writing, they're writing a different word level, but they're also writing a, a different amount of words. So don't be afraid to split them up in the class and get them working on separate things, you know, differentiate that question. And you can be giving your uh, level ones a more independent approach. So they're getting on with stuff while you're supporting your entry three. And they've maybe got a kind of scaffolded guideline of how they should start finish things. Um, same with the reading questions, you know, split them up, give them different reading questions, but the more higher level ones to your, your higher level students in the classroom. And then you're utilising both their skill sets. So, you know, there's some fantastic worksheets um, on skills workshops in there that highlights what level those questions are. So you could split those to your um, entry three and the other ones to your level one. You're coming together to kind of um, develop a context around that particular um, text. Something that I find really interesting, I was talking to someone the other day who does have a real range. They have entry one through to um, level two. I thought, wow, that's that's a real challenge. But that is the reality of sometimes what we're dealing with in, in classes, isn't it? Mm. It's yeah. A, of you know not maybe not having the staff or maybe they're not um able to split the group or you know maybe sometimes they're showing a higher level than what they've been assessed at it's another thing yeah absolutely i think in all particularly like in community where you don't have the option to put people in a different class you've just got to um, work with what you've got. I always think that if you can take a broad topic, so the lesson has the same theme, then you can build in like differentiated activities within it. Also, like you don't have to always be doing separate activities. You could have a set of questions, and one to five are for your entry ones, five to ten are for your entry twos, and you know, ten to fifteen are for your level level ones. And then that enables everyone to have a go at everything if they want to, which is the way we're. We're going now, isn't it? We've been told not to put, you know, all some and um, on our objectives. So everyone has the opportunity to do as much as they can and want and are able to. So um, try, yeah, it's difficult, but like um, I don't think you should get stuck in trying to plan little separate lessons for everyone in the same class. No, no, not at all. Not at all. You've got to blend it, haven't you? Yeah, um, and it's remember, that peer teacher is peer teaching is really valuable, especially if you've got maybe a really reluctant learner who is maybe a, a lower level than, than their friend. And that learner will sit with that learner regularly in the lesson and they can really bring them up to speed or they can really support them in the class. Um, but stretch and challenge is really, really crucial as well. So things like having a, a challenge chart or like a, a writing chart. So um, particularly um, within, I would say, like level one and level two, you're, you're breaking away from the, the different types of writing that they have. So I might have a different levels of what I want them to complete. So the bottom task might be a reading task, which leads into a high-level reading task, which then leads into a writing task. So they've got something they can be getting on with. Yeah, great, great ideas. Right, let's pick another one. 
It'd be great if we had interactivity. We could take someone from the audience to spin. Sadly, we can't. <laughs> Bring them in. <laughs> Oh, broad one. Reading skills. I mean, I would start by saying, because this can be a hard nut to crack, really, um, particularly with people that have not done so, like not enjoyed English in the past or um, haven't been in education for a while. Um, it, it's yeah. getting people to love reading. It, it yeah. can be tricky. Um, but like, I always like to try and really broaden it and I think that's something that perhaps people that have been through school and um, certain pathways don't always get but that you can read anything like and I, I'll try like I get to know the learners really well find out what they love so that even if they say they hate reading um, but they're like diehard cricket fans well then there's me like digging out the cricket almanac um, you know go on the news the sports news how about that? What about in the newspaper? Who's this cricketer? There's an article about this. And trying to like find their niche. Um, like we always go on a trip around the library and I'm lucky I have quite motivated ESOL learners most of the time. But like just opening their eyes to what's available, like reading doesn't just mean books. It means yeah. websites, it means newspapers, it means magazines, it means signs, it means leaflets, things that you need to access. So I think... Um, I always like to really open up like the doors to reading in that way. What about you? Yeah, same. And and I like to throw in things like text messages. You know, um, somebody says, "Can I talk to you?" How are you understanding that? Everyone, you know, everyone's quite anxious about that word being sent through. Or if your um, your manager or your boss or a colleague must emails it to you as well. You know, understanding what other people are trying to say through the real life context that we've actually got. Um, I find as well, I don't know if you're the same with reading or finding reading texts, I actually spend more time finding authentic texts than maybe drifting towards the exam papers. And it's not because I don't want to use the exam papers, it's because I tend to save them for when we're doing our skills checks or when we, you know, we're doing the revision. But I tend to find a lot more authentic texts, like you say, purely for engagement, because yeah. you know, we, we want to open them up to reading everywhere, like you say, and reading is everywhere. You know, there was somebody who did a, a great project here at our college about um, developing the reading culture and encapsulating that um, aside of GCSE can be quite challenging because let's be honest, our 16 plus learners, not all of them are the, the keenest of readers. Um, so we're, we're trying to build, rebuild that culture. Um, but yeah, finding texts that are super engaging uh, and again, getting them to write the, the, the questions about it, or getting them to find those um, you know, kind of quick wins of questions. So, you know, you're asking them to do that kind of basic skimming and scanning and reading retrieval because actually for some of our learners, that's really a challenge. They yeah. can't grasp that. So when they grasp that, it's a sense of achievement. Definitely. Yeah, I really, I agree with you there. It's like, it's blending the contemporary, the relevant, the stuff that's in the news. And then as teachers, it's our job to then, what I tend to do is find that text that I know is going to engage them. And then I, like today I did it, um, it was a more of an ESOL focus, but exam style questions on that text. Um, so that we're still, we're learning about culture and what's happening in the world, but we're also honing those um, exam skills that we have to do. We have to do in the time that we've got. Yeah. Um, that's right, and then eliminate another, that one, and let's spin again. 
didn't eliminate that one there was a mistake sorry there we go right
and some of the people watching. Um, but like, you know, some of our gaming lecturers, they were really, really keen to put forward text that showed um, people of colour because it was part of the unit that they were looking into. And they were really keen for us to develop their understanding um, of the reading comprehension before they were going to lesson. So we were able to utilise it in two different places. And I think it shows that you're working with your department, it shows that you're working within the vocation area and that they value your English and maths just as much as uh, you know your English and maths teachers do. And it's that kind of creating the learner journey, so that holistic approach to you know English and maths as well that we're, we're always longing for. And there's a fantastic ethos about it and it shows, but I think it's how we can show that to the learner and that's one of the ways. I think that's so important. It's all about building the relationships across. Like um, that reminded me that some teachers in our college had done this brilliant project last year, where um, the maths and the English teachers and the construction teachers got together and did this project. Basically, they got the learners to teach them, teach the maths and English teachers how to plaster. So they, wow. the teachers went down to the um, workshops and the the learners were teaching them and as they were talking they were getting to know each other there was banter but also the teachers were then saying but look that's maths that's maths there that you're doing or you know this is English and so just building those relationships because it is yeah. so hard in an hour a week like yeah. um, if we can do more of that where we're all working together um, you know all recognizing it's just each other's qualification is just as important as the others um, and it all helps the learner progress and um, succeed you know that yeah relationships definitely I think it's, it's also important to add that um, vocational context is a super key thing to getting a buy-in to your qualification but it's also the understanding that um, you can't use it the entire year because the context of the functional skills don't necessarily sit with that vocational context. Yep. So it's important to, I think, use it at the start as we progress through the year, we start to pull it back a bit and we start to go into those exam papers and we start to utilise the, um, you know, the, the sample answers and sample papers that are there in order to give them a very real experience because there's no point teaching them the whole year about sport because they're super interested in sport. When they get to the exam, it's about um, taking your bin out or it's a, a text about the weather because although they might be able to relate to it, they've had a year talking about cricket and sport and everything else that they've really, really enjoyed. So it immediately throws them off and it brings back that kind of um, fear and anxiety around English because although you've made it super accessible, you still need to bring in that little piece of reality, I think. So definitely getting the balance right is important. Um, yeah, let's do one more before we get pulled off there. Where do you want to land? Oh, I don't know, I don't know. I'm happy with this, it's fine. Discussions. <laughs> oh, it can it's be really hard. tricky to teach, can't it, actually? Yeah, and um, in where learners are resolved, it's very, very challenging because everyone's very, very keen to practice their English. And there's that real element of having to be quite strict with turn taking, would you say? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot to there's a lot of mechanics in a discussion to learn. Um, um, and it's not always obvious. Um, I I come back I always go actually I do discussions like work like you talked about criteria. I like we look at what is the criteria for the exam with the speaking and listening and what 
what is the criteria and what does that actually mean I have to do? Like, how do I take a turn? How do I interrupt? How do I give my opinion? What are the phrases? And so I'm looking at, like, um, I do, like, almost cut-up stuff where you're putting in, this is the criteria and then this is an example of what you can say. And I've done it across the wall before now as well so that everyone contributes with post-its or bits of paper so that you actually know, like, the concrete examples. Because people think they can have a discussion and then 99% <coughs> of the time sit there and really struggle first time. I think that's really good to capture as well. It's like, let them do it without any help first. Yeah. Self-assess, review, and then show them how how they can get better at it. What do you um, think? On a, on a quick note, just before we go, I think that recording discussions is really important. It's part of the process anyway. But recording and reviewing what they're doing so they can see and practice is really, really good. Um, also, things like thunks, you know, what, what colour is Monday? Um, is a zebra black or white without its stripes? Those kind of fun and sometimes what can take up that half an hour um, starting points are really good because they infuse the, the start of the lesson. And I always try to start my lesson with, with a discussion point. So every lesson they're working within their groups and every lesson they are having some form of discussion and speaking and listening practice. So, oh, I love okay. this. I've learned so much. I've learned so much. This is brilliant. Oh, absolutely. So, um, thank you so much. It was so good to talk to you. I've loved you. <laughs> so, you're going to lead now on a talk on tech tools for engagement with functional skills. Is that right? Yes, yes, thank I am. Nice. Thank you so much. I'll leave you to it. All right, thank you. Oh, God, I feel like I need a break. Right, okay, straight in. So let me just share my screen so that I know what I'm talking about. Am I, oh, let me just, am I still sharing? I think I might need, hang on, I'm on the wrong box. I'm all flustered. 